Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. And Carissa. Not hot in spite of being a geek, but because of it. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey, welcome to the Lucky 10,000. This is Evan Harris. Hi, I'm Carissa. And we're here to show you the world out there that uh, everybody's a geek about something. That's kind of the point of the show. Um, if you, if this is your first time listening to us, or even your second time listening to us, and you're thrown, just know that uh, the first episode of the show was sort of an accident. It was meant to be on my other podcast, The Bearded Ones, which you should listen to. Carissa, totally. give us a plug. Not at all a shameless plug. Thank you. Um, now show them your breasts. Um, <laughs> no. um, and I loved it so much. And I'm building this network, which when you hear this, hopefully we'll be broadcasting from that network. Uh, that I was like, we need to make our own podcast and make it exclusively about geeky things. And uh, working together, we came up with this format. And this format is, Carissa, if you'd like to explain the Lucky 10,000 to our listeners. Absolutely. Um, I kind of shamelessly stole it from XKCD, which any good nerd should already be reading. And uh, geeks-to-be should certainly start. And basically, it's that every day, math says that by the time you're 30 years old, something that everybody knows, 10,000 people don't know it. And every day... You can be one of the lucky 10,000 people who learns something that everybody already knows. That is awesome. So the way this podcast is going to work from now on is that each episode, one of us is going to sort of school the other one on something that they're passionate about. And believe me, we both have so many meaningless passions that the <laughs> show can go on for years. Hey, uh, they're not meaningless if you're passionate about them. <clears throat> That's true, but let's just say the world ended tomorrow, and uh, we had to survive. Um, I think if I were to leave my house with the only the necessities to survive in the new zombie apocalypse or you know post apocalyptic wasteland, I would be sure to bring my copy of Hero Quest <laughs> because when you're fighting off cannibals and trying to find shelter from the acid rain, you gotta have something to do. That's true. So today's episode, uh, and, and keep in mind, uh, in each episode it's gonna be either one of us knows absolutely nothing about a subject, or it's a subject that we both know something about, because we're both unabashed geeks, but um, the other one just knows maybe slightly more, and today Carissa's gonna take the reins about tabletop gaming. Yeah, I'm totally not an expert, but I do love it, so. But you, you know. probably do it more often than I do. Which is not often enough. Well, can it be often enough? No, yes, it absolutely can be often enough. But <laughs> Yeah, because other times you want to do video games. Right. And then you exactly. gotta watch superhero movies. Yes. Oh my god. Really... I'm gonna date I'm gonna date the recording of this podcast right now, so you can cut it out later if you want. But I am so excited for Age of Ultron this weekend. Oh my god. No, that's that's absolutely fine. Just to let you know, I don't know when the network is going up, so we could be talking about Age of Ultron. A year after Age of Ultron has already been in and out in theaters. But yes, I have some friends going to see it tonight. Oh, I we're going. I go because I had rehearsal. 
Yeah, we're going on like a, I think Saturday matinee just to avoid yeah. the huge crowds. But oh, oh yeah, I'm so excited! I've but been avoiding. I, I watched the first trailer and yep. I've been avoiding all of them. I haven't done any spoilers. I have no idea what's coming. I am so excited. See, I didn't see the first Avengers in the theater when it first came out. I saw it when it came back around. Okay. And uh, I'm glad I saw it in the theater. I'm a little disappointed I didn't see it with a huge crowd. Yeah. Mainly for the part where Hulk beats the shit out of Loki. <laughs> Which is still awesome. It's incredible. The theater awesome. that we saw that in, it was, and I'm sure that this was true across the world. I had like four people in the theater. Cheering in, and, and they were clapping cheering, and but... laughing. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was really one of those movies. You, you know, all, Marvel's done so well. With their cinematic universe. But you yep. had to think, and I'm sure you felt the same way, when Avengers came out, you were like, there's no way this movie can be as good as I'm hoping it's going to be. And guess what? It kind of was. It was better. I, I mean, I've been continuously more impressed than I was the last time with every new Marvel release. Oh, I know. Uh, I'm just, I'm very happy with the way, for the most part, the way they've gone about. They brought Guardians of the universe. Galaxy to the mainstream. And it was amazing. Who who can do that? It was amazing. It was great. And you're sitting there going, how did they do that? And like, I'm not a comic book nerd. Like, I don't know my comics all that well. Right. So whenever a new Marvel whatever will come out, um, or for the big ones, like, I was pretty big into X-Men, but mostly from the cartoon and not right. so much from the comic books. Right. Uh but I knew a lot of the lore about sure. the actual canon. That was it for me for the most part. So anytime a new one would come out, I would have to ask or go, here's right. how much of a geek I am. I wouldn't know, so I would go check Wikipedia. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you got to know a little bit something. But I didn't know anything hardly about Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I, I recognized I the raccoon. Was he was very familiar to me. I didn't even know that. Like the only yeah. thing I knew about it was one line from a song by Word Burglar, who's a like a nerdcore rapper, Canada, um, whom I love. He's great. Yo, and motherfucker. Not quite. <laughs> but he has a song about how he's a big comic book nerd, and one of the lines in the song was that he would be reading Guardians of the Galaxy. That's uh, the only thing I knew about it was that it there was just, a comic called Guardians you know, of the Galaxy. Instead of just referencing guns and hoes, I just want every hardcore rapper from now on to reference comics. Um, Yo, motherfucker, I'm turning green because hey. I got Rage Jubilees with Wolverine and I think he should be alone, Holmes. <laughs> have you heard any nerdcore rap? A little, actually, I have. But we we are so in danger of getting off on a huge tangent here. Yes, and just I want to do nerdcore later, like on we, a different podcast. Oh, I, I can't wait. Um, just know that we are very excited about Age of Ultron, as I'm sure <laughs> no one else is. Right. Um, I will say uh, it is a very high rating on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I'm sure. Well, you never know. You never know. And I'm not saying that that would determine whether I like the movie or not, but it's a pretty good indicator. Yeah, usually. Paul Blart Mall Cop 2 is at 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good indicator. Oh, I haven't checked what's Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, It's not good. Um, I think it's in the high teens, maybe uh, wow. mid-twenties. That's much better than I would probably have You know, thought. they had to pay somebody. Oh, like, that's wow. bad when your made-up critics even can't admit that they liked Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, they will do that. You see the, the things. Uh, God, what was it? I saw a movie one time where the, it was a comedy, and the only quote they could pull from any critic was the word funny in quotation <laughs> 
<laughs> like, not only should that be the least of a comedy's worries, that should be that is the first thing it should be. Yeah, it there's also be the way quotes. out of context that the sentence literally could have been funny how awful this movie is. Right. The only thing funny about this movie. Yeah. Roger Ebert said funny. <laughs> anyway, what we're really here to talk about today is tabletop board gaming. Something that I do love. I just don't know that many people who have the time to do it. It seems like you are surrounded by more honest-to-God geeks than I am. Um, my experience, yeah. I'll go ahead and say it right now, Dungeons & Dragons, obviously, um, and Hero Quest. And that's mainly it if we're not talking about like just normal board games like Clue and Life. If we're talking about geek-centric, tabletop, Dungeons & Dragons, roleplay, stuff like that, um, those are my only experiences to Dungeons & Dragons and Hero Quest. Yep. Educate me. <laughs> uh, what was the last D&D that you played? Was it Advanced oh D&D 2nd yeah, Edition? I mean, it was... Like, did you have FACO? No. Okay, so it was 3rd Edition. Okay. Um, which was approximately when I started getting into... Like really into actual oh, sorry, tabletop quick, RPG. And I just add one more to my list. Uh, Hero yeah. Clicks. I have played Hero Clicks. Okay. I haven't. It never really interested me. It's fun. Okay. I will take your word for that. Um, where was I? Third Dungeons edition. Dungeons and Dragons. Third yes. edition. Uh, came out in the late nineties. Okay. After Advanced D and D or D and D Second Edition or whatever okay. had been out for decades. <laughs> And D&D started, of course, as kind of a dorm room natural progression from, like, the Warhammer big, huge tabletop war games. Which is strange. Anytime you mention tabletop gaming, your first thought isn't dorm room. Because when I think tabletop gaming and dorm rooms, I think jocks bursting into the nerds' <laughs> dorm rooms and hanging them out the Flipping window by tables over, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, nerds go to college, so <laughs> they spend a lot of time in their dorm rooms. That's true. Uh, and it was developed. And over the years, the many, many years of play, um, I'm not going to get into like the history of the companies that have been involved, but sure. Wizards of the Coast took it over and they decided to update it. So in the late 90s, they changed the format of D&D substantially. Okay. And they... The one of the biggest things was that they got rid of what what's called Thaco to okay. hit armor class zero. So oh, what you okay. had to roll in order to actually hit the person that or enemy that you were trying to hit. Right. They got rid of that, changed the whole system to a die twenty model, which is much more familiar to anybody that's playing role playing games now. Right. Um. So everything's based on the d twenty, and all the damage rolls are for the smaller dice. Okay. Um. That was when I started getting into tabletop role-playing games because okay. I worked at a game store. Oh, you did? I didn't in, know that. God, that Haywood would be Mall. heaven. Uh, I don't even remember the like, game chest or something like that. It wasn't around here, was it? Yeah, it was the one right off Haywood. We must have hated each other at the time. I don't know that we'd met yet. Oh, this is, like, this is old, right old school. after I moved there. I think we yeah. established we've known each other for about 20 years now. Yep. It was right after I moved there. It was like the second job I got or something. Nice. Uh, so, I, of course, I worked with a lot of geeks. My the, the main way I got the job was that I liked to play games pretty much of any kind, and I'm a girl. 
Yeah. So the owner of the store who was, you know, the <laughs> kind of guy who would, like, yeah. you didn't even have to put your name hey, down. Uh, you walked in and you're like, oh, every guy in the store goes. <gasps> so, you know, the guy who owned the game store, the kind of guy who owns a game store. Yeah. Was, he was cool, just like any kind of Especially guy who owns a game then, store. Because you tell me yeah. if I'm wrong, but there's been sort of a female geek uh, uh, upsurge in the past few years. Yes. Yeah, a renaissance. A renaissance. Uh, yeah, there has. But because I, I'm i not dumb and I do have a lot of experience with games and stuff, I well, thought it would not, be a really you know, fun... Not to, not to build your ego too much. You're pretty cute, too. So you probably yeah. walked in there and, like, if it were a cartoon, let's just say, <laughs> you would have walked you in the do door... you jaw-dropping, eyes popping out? No, I was going <laughs> to go with something much more sweet. <laughs> okay. Because that's just sex. That's just lust, Carissa. True. That's like Pepe Le Pew just wanted to fuck all those cats. Um, yes. You walked in and th- they all like floated up slightly in the air. All the guys. Okay. And hearts were in their eyes and they had their hands clasped like under their chins. Mm-hmm. And little like heart wings appeared and they all just started floating in a circle okay. around the store. Is it that what it was like? like that, except okay. not really at all. Okay. So uh, you walk cool. in. It's a game store. You get a it's job. A Get a job, and one of the guys that I worked with was like a—he was a super nerd. He knew the mechanics of every role-playing game they sold, and a whole bunch of the ones that they didn't. Um, <laughs> he was very knowledgeable, very nerdy, super nice guy. So there was a lot of downtime because game stores are pretty low turnover. Uh, yeah. So we would spend time with him educating me on role-playing games. Did you have an and area for where like, people could come in and play? Uh, no, because it was one of the, like, the ones on one of the crappy entrances to the mall. Because okay. so if you're like ever in Greenville again, stores. if you're ever back in Greenville, and let's both admit, probably not going to happen, but if you're ever back in Greenville again, I would like to take you to the new Boardwalk. Okay. It used to be Boardwalk Park Place in Haywood Mall, which was a closet in the back of the store where they shoved everything geek-related into one tiny room. Well, they moved out of the mall now, and now they have this nice, much bigger area, and they also have a gaming area in the back. It's like a little cafeteria. It looks like they converted a fast food restaurant or something, but it's still pretty awesome. You can just hang out there all day and game. So I would like to take you next time you're here. Yeah. I'll, if I manage to get back there, I would love to go. So um, is that where you started playing Dungeons & Dragons? I started, no, actually, it was years later. <laughs> uh, I learned about Dungeons & Dragons. Okay. But it was not my first tabletop game. And to be perfectly fair, I played several tabletop RPGs when I was younger. What was the first one you ever played? I don't even remember. They were all like homebrew campaigns, no source books, sort of, just... Here's this thing that I want to kind of, it was mostly more like an acting exercise with dice. Sure. Um, which was cool for me. Uh, and didn't seem at all nerdy. Right. Well, because fun things aren't. They're just fun. They're just fun. Yeah, you I agree. Especially when you're young. You don't think about like, oh, is this societally acceptable? <laughs> you just go, oh, this is fun. You yeah. want to go out back and play, toss football around? Nah. I'm casting a water spell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the first RPG that I actually played tabletop was a White Wolf game, Vampire. White Wolf. Okay, I do remember White Wolf. Of course. Vampire the Masquerade was yeah. my first. 
Um, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> White Wolf has its problems. Their system has its downsides. But honestly, for kind of forging their own way to make the games that they were trying to make, they actually did a pretty good job abstracting okay, well, all of those concepts. Since you're educating me and the audience about more in-depth tabletop gaming what are the problems that uh, a typical tabletop gaming system has a and b who what is the best tabletop game just as far as mechanics and logistics are concerned that has been able to avoid those problems both of these answers are going to be totally opinions yeah um, of course i'm going to disclaim that up front i am not stating the gospel truth or fact although these get are ready just... when we post this on twitter for all the past oh god so much hate go, you're so incorrect i know so much hate you and don't know what you're talking about pedants and i'm not an expert i'm just a player so here's my perspective yes uh what do you want first the problems yeah let's see the, the typical problems the most tabletop games in your experience have abstraction wrong wrong you're so <laughs> totally, wrong totally wrong what are you oh talking God. about uh, it's mostly because tabletop gaming pretty much any gaming is trying to find a way to put numbers to things that don't have numbers right. to life right so that you can get through the drudgery of life and get to the fun stuff like killing goblins yes um because if you have to take into account every possible detail, mm -hmm. anything you do, swinging one sword would take hours. Right. If you don't abstract that into simple roll one die, take that one number, add it to this other number, compare it to that number, there's your answer. If you don't have a simple math for it. Tabletop games, you had to have your graph calculator. <laughs> yes. And there are games that are still like that. And some people really enjoy that. Um, simulationist. Well, like I can style. imagine too, you put yourself in the mindset of the people that are creating that game. It probably made perfect sense to them. Yes. Yes. And they had no one to come in, and especially in the early days of tabletop gaming before somebody realized it was actually profitable. There was no one to come in and go, this makes no fucking sense. Yeah, there was no such thing as play testing. You just right. played. There wasn't testing, it was just playing. Uh, and that's great. That's a really organic way to make a game, but it is a terrible way to make abstractions work in a broad yes. sense. So now we have playtesting, and those problems become fewer. They're not gone, but they're fewer. Right. Um, so I have an example of this. Okay. There is a game called Spycraft. Spycraft. No, Spy. Craft. <laughs> Spike raft. Spike Got raft. It. So the plot of the game that is that you're whitewater effective. rafting and your raft starts jutting sharp things at you. Spike raft. Got it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't go into the forest of Mordor with your spike raft. So the game is spy craft. Spike raft. Got it. Yes. And it's basically the A-team and Mission Impossible in the Whitewater Rapids. Correct, with spikes. Yes. And the game is just a die 20 simple base system. It's kind of like D&D 3rd Edition, based on the, the open source version of the D&D rules. Okay. Um, and that's just the die 20 system. And so you make a team of, you know, your face man who speaks languages and knows contact and can do disguises and your wheelman who drives really good you there at paddling. Exactly. And the whole 
group composition of a spy team. And then you go to spy missions and you do espionage. Cool. That's the very, very basic version. So in Spycraft, they have rules for car chases. Because you're going to be in what is effectively a spy movie, and there are car chases in spy movies. Of course. So you're going to have car chases. They have rules for that. That's great. And it's basically, here are the kinds of tricks that you know how to do in a car chase, and you play them as as cards. Like, I play the okay. 180 e-brake card or whatever. I think I get where you're going with this. And the system the, just ended up being far too complicated for what you no, were trying to do. Nope. The system system is fine. It's actually very simple. It's I play this card and mm-hmm. it lets me evade. But I'm okay. playing that against my the person chasing me. He plays shoot out my tires or whatever. Oh, and okay. it makes me spin off. Whoever wins that card versus card exchange, whoever has the higher card effectively, mm-hmm. wins. And then that result takes effect. You're playing war. Kind of, yeah. In a spike raft. Yes. Well, we have a friend who is a car-driving, gun-toting, amazing dude. And he likes to play D&D with us. He's really good at role-play, or he's really into role-playing games. Okay. Uh, But he he is like a car expert and a gun expert. We have only ever really played D&D style sword and board fantasy might and magic games with him. Mm-hmm. We had never played any sort of modern real world abstracting game. So at the beginning we got all of our gear and stuff and we had a car that we were he was going to be driving us in and he picked it specifically because it is the best getaway car. It was like ah. an, it was an Audi. Okay. Uh and so we were doing this chase scene. And he wanted to do a maneuver, and the dude that was chasing us did another maneuver, and the enemy won, and he couldn't accept that. He was like, no, because I'm in a rear-wheel drive car, and rear-wheel drive cars don't do that. That That literally can't happen because of the kind of car that I'm driving. But the kind of car that you're driving isn't taken into account. Right. Because it's too, that's too much. Right. So for the abstraction rules, they had to make it really simple, which is great until you run into the one player who just can't let it go. Right. It's like, no, the clip in my gun is going to be 17 bullets. <laughs> like, he just can't let it go. And then the abstraction just falls apart because now you have totally broken your ability to immerse yourself in the game. Yes. So... When you are doing something like D&D, which is already just, there are elves and people are fighting with swords and magic. Shit just doesn't happen in the real world. You can just let it go. Look, the clip in my wand has 17 spells in it. Exactly. Hey, hey, my wagon has four-wheel drive. Yeah. If you were to shoot it with an arrow, it wouldn't spin out like that. Right. Um, But for the modern games, he just couldn't let it go. And I know that there are people for whom that is true for any type of game. Absolutely. So even for D&D, they're going to be like, no, because if you're walking through the woods and you trap a rabbit, like, it's just, <laughs> like, you know, just let it go. But the abstraction can't take all of that stuff into account. I mean, so it would be, I imagine, the rock. same thing as watching a movie where yes. you know yes. something that no one else knows and one little thing goes wrong and everyone's like, oh, that was so awesome. And you're like, no, it wasn't. It was a piece of shit. Yeah. Like, Poor an ultimatum, watch- my ass. 
Braveheart, like or whatever. Born yes. Ulta Lion. <laughs> yes, it is exactly like that. So games are always trying to find a way to take whatever their concept or theme is and abstract it from whatever the quote-unquote real world of that would be. Because, of course, right. vampires don't exist in the real world, but so they or say. Do they? <laughs> that sounds like something a vampire would say. <laughs> now you um, know why I want to record at night. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Um, but they have to do something. So they just try to make it as basic and simple as possible. And kind of the rule zero for role-playing games is do what makes fun. Do what makes it fun. Do what makes fun. Do what makes fun. Yeah. And who are the people that make these games again? <laughs> Me, <Yeah>. like, wizard. <laughs> Me hit on head, club. <laughs> bonk, bonk. Ega, ega. Bonk, bonk on head. You're able to kind of change whatever rules don't work for you. Right. To make the game work for you as a whole. And that, to um, me, I guess, too, is the appeal of something like a Dungeons & Dragons game in the times that I have played, which, to be totally honest, haven't been many. Because <clears throat> I had a group, but our dungeon master was not the most uh, dependable guy in the world. And then we all just yeah. sort of splintered apart and never finished our quest. But yep. the cool thing to me about that sort of thing, as opposed to a board game with hard and fast rules, is that it really was sort of whatever you wanted it to be. Oh, God. So, of course, we've played a lot of RPGs, so I have sure. a lot of stories. Uh, there was one. I was running a campaign for a game called In Nomine, which is by Steve Jackson Games. Kind of. No, not at all. Uh, It's angels versus demons, basically. Hmm. The War of the Celestials. And so I was running this campaign. And our players were all angels. And it was, I was, there was a mystery they were trying to solve. So they had to, like, ask questions of some people and do some research and uh, intrigue stuff. And at one point, they had to go to this church and ask this priest a question. They just had to get, like, one piece of information from him. Okay. They went in, they got it. Like, it wasn't, this wasn't meant to be a big part of the thing. They just needed to ask him this question and get this one answer and then move on. Well, I don't know why, but one of my players, (laughs) he was just convinced that the priest was hiding something. And now you leading the game, you knew but you're not exactly allowed to say, right? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, yes. You don't Just for those of you that don't know, I mean, wall. if this is educating everyone, a lot of times the kind of tabletop role-playing games we're talking about, mainly, I'm assuming, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, are games in which you have some rudimentary uh, accoutrement, but um, mainly the game is in your imagination, and you decide yeah. for one person to lead your group and tell you the story as you're going and tell you what you encounter. So that person should know what's going on with certain things, and they can or don't have to tell you. So I'm imagining this guy was convinced of something that you didn't want to just come out and say, no, that's all you have to do. Am I right? Well, that's true, I mean, because we run... Like, I know a lot of people take pre-made campaigns and, like, read them out of the book or whatever, but we run mm. complete homebrews. We write the arse right. from scratch. Um, so this was my story. I didn't know because I was reading it. I knew because this guy was just a guy with one answer. Like, there was nothing here for them. <laughs> That's what I knew. Nothing was here. 
nothing was going to be here. I couldn't come up with anything to be here. It was just, there was nothing. Right. But he was convinced this priest was hiding something from them. So for an hour, two hours. Really? It went on for most of the night. He was hiding behind the pews. He was sneaking into the <laughs> confessionals. He was crawling up in the rafters. He was trying to break into the rectory. He was just, he wouldn't let it go. And so it got to the point where I was like, there's nothing. There is nothing here. It's just a church. The <laughs> dude is just a priest. There is nothing for you here. And I did have to just come out and tell him, you're done here. <laughs> Which is not what you, you want to do as no, a dungeon master or a leader. Because you do want the people to discover things on their own. And especially the way that I happen to am is that sometimes I won't actually know what the answer right. to this part of the story is. I will just wait and listen to my players talk about what it could be and then pick the one I like the best. Yeah. And then do that. Because it sounds like a really great thing to do because players think around the problem. Right. So they're able to see it from a perspective that you as a writer, because effectively if you're doing that from scratch, that's right. what you're doing. You're writing a story. You just didn't think about that. Like that's not even something I would have considered because I have all this other stuff in my head. They right. have no idea what's going on. So they're thinking about weird, random stuff. And I have changed my whole story sometimes because the players are like, oh, I think it's like this. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's a way better answer. And I just do that. But I mean, I don't tell cool, them at right? the time. You don't go, oh, yeah, no, oh, yeah, yeah. That's I don't tell them at the time. Did. I just, you know, I'm just like, oh, oh, that's a good, yeah, what you said. <laughs> We're going to do that next time. Um, and he just, but this dude wouldn't, wouldn't let it go. I didn't know how to get him to let it go. So finally, really, it was hours of him doing oh. this. I just had to say, you have to leave this church. There is nothing here. You have to stop. <laughs> And then one of the guys in the group was like, but you can't leave the church because I know that kind of a door and that door wouldn't open like that. You just opened that door completely the wrong way. This whole world is fake. And he stands up and like throws the everybody's table over. shit off the table. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, no, none of my players have ever been like that. Oh. You definitely knew some interesting people, though. Um, and you managed to find them. You're like you are like a, a, a geek metal detector. Because uh, I've always been into that sort of stuff, but I do remember a time when you got into the live-action role-play type oh, games. so awesome. See, that was one thing that never appealed to me. I could never absorb myself into the story. Maybe I'm too much of a literalist. I can do tabletop fine, but I remember the one time I played with you guys, I had crafted this character, and I was all excited, and I was like, this could be really cool. And then like, I looked around, and I was like, we're at a playground at my apartment complex. <laughs> And we're fighting each other via rock, paper, scissors. Oh, yeah, dude. I don't think I can hold on to this reality. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the ability. Again, it's the same abstraction. It's the ability to be able to not let the numbers or the rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> but you think I would be able version. to because I'm an actor. But, I mean, maybe, maybe that's why. Like, like hey. that's why I liked it. But... I have a longer history in it than you did. And we just kind of threw you into it, like, on a night where there was stuff going on. So there was a lot of rock, paper, scissors happening, <laughs> as opposed to just us kind of role-playing the Which, way that we you know, normally I did. I love you, and I love geek stuff, but I, I, had, I couldn't help but chuckling when I'm like, I am an evil vampire. The lord of all evil geeks will I will finally defeat you and send your hell demons back to the nether region. Okay, one, two, one, two three. three <laughs> Oh, scissors, man. 
Yeah. I have been defeated. <laughs> uh, that never bothered me. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I don't know why. And to, with like for me, tabletop is easier because you are literally imagining everything. Yes. And so, like, when someone has a sword battle, yes, you're rolling a dice. I knew a one guy that would do it with a penny because, really, the die for a battle is just either, like, one through five, five through ten, you get hit or you don't. And he would just flip a coin. He didn't even have any die. And he still put up a really good D&D game. Yeah. Um, but you're seeing all that in your mind. Yes. And it, it, it was easier for me to get into it that way. And I, I think that that's... Um a perfectly valid way to view that sort of gaming. Uh, the LARP that we did, live action role play that we did, was for was for Vampire. <laughs> and it was part of the Camarilla, which is basically the sanctioned national or international group mm-hmm. that White Wolf allows to do LARP. And they kind of sponsor it and give you stuff to help you do that. So now I'm glad you brought that up though because one of the reasons I got into the group that you were playing with not to skip sort of the the mechanics of of the games and everything, but I also think this is a really interesting thing that I'm almost totally unfamiliar with. But when you were in Greenville, you were actually a part of of that association. How yes. does that work? How do you get in part because uh, I remember you went to a convention and you had a game that you and your boyfriend at the time had created. Oh, yeah, way back in the day. Yeah. That was awesome. That was the best game ever, except not really. Uh, yeah, because they did, I don't even know, are they still doing the con in Greenville that started in Greenville? Uh, I don't think so, but South okay. Carolina Comic Con comes here now. Okay. But it's um, not the, I don't think it's the con of old. Well, because I worked in a game store, I had contact with a lot of people who did gaming. One of them organized completely from the bottom up this convention just a comic gaming convention and i think it ran for a couple years at least and he invited me to help him by running a game one of the nights or i guess two of the nights of his convention Uh, so my boyfriend at the time and i we made this vampire game and we used the tabletop rules to make a live action game which was and now, weird. how exactly does that work? I mean, you just take the rules and everybody carries a die with them, basically. And, I mean, we simplified some of the rules and handed out very simple cheat sheets to say, here's how this is different. So people walked um, into this hotel and created their characters on the spot. Basically, Because, yeah. again, to the layman, that's something that you also don't realize is, especially what I remember with D&D, is character creation was a pretty laborious process. Uh, yeah, and it still kind of is. I mean, it took a while. And that's why people got so deep into it, though, because that pulled them in because they got to create this character from scratch. And think about why their stats were like this and why their armor was like that. And as opposed to playing, you know, Super Mario Brothers and having Mario die and going, oh, well, I'll play again tomorrow. You almost felt like you created this person. And when they were dead, they were dead. It was a big deal. Yeah. Did you ever see anyone cry because their character died? Fucking I've cried because my character's dead. Yeah. Yeah, Did you absolutely. like go down to your knees in the middle of the kitchen and pretend to hold a dying no. imaginary person? They go, no! no, 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 not at all. Uh, but you do get to know this person that you are becoming for a short time every right. other weekend or whatever, and 
that person is separate from you. So you don't get to know them as a part of yourself. You right. get to know them as a whole different person. You become like friends with them. Exactly. You know who they are. Or maybe you come to hate them. Like, you know who they are and they're terrible right. people, uh, depending on the kind of game you're playing. But you, because they are coming from you, they are a part of you. And just like when a friend does something that impacts you, you react to that emotionally. You respond to that because you're a human being, and empathy is a part of what we do. In that any person of your, is separate. How, in any of your stories, did you have someone betray the rest of the group? And when they did, was that just like watching a TV show and going, <gasps> it was him the whole time. He was the mole, you know? I no, we've never I don't recall or I don't think I've ever had anyone actually like turn traitor right. on our party. We I have had somebody do something stupid to the big bad evil guy and get himself killed like oh, right yeah, in front yeah, of me yeah. immediately. Um and that caused kind of a ruckus. Yeah. Um So, so I've like, seen let's I've just seen say that you're at a tabletop like a D&D game somebody who's crafted this character and played this character for years dies. Uh, they're not coming back. They have to create a new character, correct? Mm-hmm. And can they just do that right then, or are they just yes. out until they so, create the character? Okay. I actually kind of have a story about this. We were running Dungeons Dragons 3rd Edition, and we had a group of six people. I think it was six people. Okay. Uh, one and this was a campaign that Z was running, and one of our players was always the barbarian. He his answer was, "I kill it." <laughs> that was he just wanted to fight things. He didn't care about the he didn't want to be a character. He didn't want to immerse him. He just wanted to kill the things, which was fine. And like he would banter with us and stuff, but there was no serious character depth to him ever. Yeah, and I and I hate to keep interrupting you, but I always every time you say something, it reminds me of something that probably someone that doesn't know anything about this kind of stuff might might question. Although probably only geeks are listening to this, <laughs> but uh, there are a couple of different ways of playing a tabletop role playing game like this. You can sort of just be yourself and then say, "Well, I want my guy." Or once you sit down, you can kind of just only speak as your character. Yeah, we're we tend our groups tend to be kind of in the middle of that. Yeah. Um, we will mostly talk in you know, third person about our characters. Right. Like, yeah. Well, we're going to go over here and then uh, sometimes we'll kind of float into first person. Like I'm going to go talk to the shopkeeper, but I'm still me. Like it's right. Carissa. I'm talking. <laughs> I, I my should go converse with thine shopkeeper. But there are times when it's not, when there's not dice rolling, that's going to be coming up, but we're going to have to converse with some character or non-player character in the story where that just stops being true. And when I say I, I'm talking as my character. I'm right. quoting my character. And the dungeon um, master sometimes has the most fun because they have to God, play yeah. all of those people. All the characters, yes. And throw in funny voices sometimes right. and do stuff. I mean, when everyone is 100% in character at a tabletop game all the time and they you know, affect their accents and they do things that are weird, it's just <laughs> bizarre to me. It's just bizarre. Yeah. I get why you would do would that. Would thine likest a cuke? But... Honestly, sometimes... I shall quest to the refrigerator. <laughs> sometimes it's just too much. 
Like, you just need to say, okay, we're going to go into town and buy some supplies and then come back right. and go camp. Like, that's all you need to say. You don't need to make it a big deal. Right. Um, again, abstraction. Just finding the rhythm of when to put yourself in the game and when to just talk about the game. Well, now and that kind of gets back to the original question. What system that you've played has the be- deals with abstraction the best? Uh, it is... I actually don't even know if it's new. It's new-ish to me. In the last few years, I have been turned on to the Fate system. Okay. And Explain. Several games are based in the Fate system now, um, including the Dresden Files role-playing game. I, I don't even know if that. you're familiar with the Dresden Files. I've heard of it. I don't uh, unless it's unless it's based on a movie or a TV show that I've heard of, and I'm not actually thinking of the game. The Dresden Files is familiar. It's it's a very long-running book series. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I've heard of it modern, because you told me about it. <laughs> probably. It's modern fantasy. Uh, really great. It's absolutely fantastic, and I recommend everyone read it. It's by Jim Butcher. Totally go out and get it like today. Uh, pause the podcast and go <laughs> get it or order it on Amazon, whatever. Or you know what? Uh, put your headphones on and listen to us while you yeah. drive to the store. Absolutely. Um, but there's a role-playing game based on the book series, The Dresden Files. Okay. Because it can easily be translated into a role-playing game. And they took the Fate Die system and made a game out of it. And it's the Fate system as a whole is really very simple. The abstractions that they use, they're not numbers. They're concepts. Okay. So when you're making your characters, your characters are... Uh, formed out of actual words instead of just numbers. So, like, my strength is 12. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. Right. You know it as a number, and you're able to compare it to other numbers, but it doesn't actually mean anything. Right. When you're playing in a faith system, um, I am strong as an ox. Oh, okay. That is something you can actually contemplate. You very can tangible. feel what that would be. Um and so the dice rolling isn't about number comparing, like, my strength of 12 plus my damage of 6 plus my right. roll of 15. That doesn't work. So it's just it's six-sided die, six-sided dice with pluses, minuses, and blanks. You roll them, and you add them up. So pluses add one, minuses take one away, and right. blanks are zero. You add them up. That's your total. And, and in a way, it makes sense. But the yes. fate system is different. That's that's it. That's the system. That that really sounds pretty straightforward. Now, as someone is who is incredibly simple. But, but this is the thing also about geek culture, and I love geek culture. I really do. And for the most part, it is very welcoming. As long as you're genuine, you'll be accepted. But there is a subsection of geek culture that wants to keep everything all to themselves. Oh, God, yes. And do you find that if something is made easier, like, are you the type of person that prefers when it's made easier and you could say, bring a friend over and easily explain it to them, they can join in? Or do you prefer the more complicated systems that you have to be real knowledgeable about that kind of stuff to be able to even get into? I um, don't have a preference. I like them both. My preference is that it's good. Right. If it's well done and really complicated and has a very steep learning curve, I'm still all about it. I will, if it's good, I will take the time and learn your learning curve. And I will enjoy it and I will have a good time doing it. 
Um, but I also like to be able to say, hey, come on over. We're going to make characters for this Dresden right. campaign, and we're just going to talk about our characters. Right. Like, it's much more like an acting exercise than it yeah. is like math. And it's fun. That part is just fun because that's tabletop role-playing. You get with friends together and do something creative to to make something different that you can't make in any other way. Well, and to be honest, too, like I think some of the genius, too, of the role-playing games is that they've left a lot of it up to your imagination. Yeah. But then, you know, I'm a very tangible person. Like, if I play a game, my favorite, <laughs> I like playing the the board game life because it has all the little plastic setups and everything. Yep. They were smart enough to know, well, we can sell people this book and then we can make these dice. And the dice were like to me, I had the dice and they were the coolest things about role playing <laughs> was that you got to carry these like and they weren't yep. just dice, they were octagons and triangles and yep. there really was no point in all those different there truly wasn't. It was just a look at the accessories I have. Because people love accessories. People love yeah. to come somewhere and open up a suitcase and start pulling shit out. Yep. Going, boom, I'm ready to play. Yep. So but but when you talk about home brew tabletop playing, you're talking about you could pretty much do everything like I was talking about with that guy with the penny. He knew the rules. He just said, okay, create your character. I'll do a story for you. And they didn't, he didn't need anything else. Yep. Do you and prefer the accessories? Uh, I have a fondness for my purple dice, yes. I do too. I really do. And I mean, I have a set of fate dice. They're silver and black. I really like them. But yeah. there's only four of them. It's collecting. Who doesn't love collecting something? And of course, like gambling or baseball players or I guess any sports player really, mm -hmm. there is a superstition element to it. Oh, absolutely. Like my purple die 20 rolls better than Z's orange die 20 when now, I roll it. Why hasn't this made it to TV in the way that poker has? I would watch people play Dungeons and Dragons or any of the other RPGs that we've already talked about before I would watch a guy a couple of guys on ESPN 37 sit down and play poker or bowling for that matter because it's nerdy or golf or baseball because it's nerdy uh, yeah pretty much but there's an audience I mean for part that. of it part of it is because it's nerdy part of it is because it's boring it's boring television like I'm not going to speak to whether or not poker championships are boring television some people enjoy them fine um, but watching other people think about pretending to be people <laughs> that you can't see then once they have thought about pretending to okay. be them. Okay, but don't you think this? If you had a really great dungeon master and you're yeah. watching it and the people that are playing it are really good and really into it, it would be like just following a story. Going back to the be. old campfire days yes. and someone's just telling you a story. Yes. And no one knows and what's going to happen. If you could get it, like if you could have a world championship of D&D &D, mm -hmm. so that you knew that you had a storyteller who could weave a story that was actually worth listening to and players who knew how to, not just how to roll their dice and how to add things up quickly so it wasn't just boring watching them explain the rules to each other, right. but knew how to approach role playing I in think a way that made it enjoyable to watch. Uh, we should. I'll probably edit out this whole section where we've been talking about this because we don't need anyone else to steal this idea. Okay. If people are going to sit down and watch cricket or croquet or water polo or 
oh, curling, they'll watch this. Um, I think you are maybe giving them too much credit, but well, it's okay. But all those other things are sports that people who aren't watching that sport are probably outside in the sun <laughs> uh, doing athletics. You're appealing to geeks who already love it and who are usually just at home sitting around watching TV or playing a game anyway. That's true. I mean, video games have started showing up. Video game well, championships have started showing up. Yeah, and they're awesome. Um, I don't know. You could probably do it on like Twitch TV. Oh, yeah. Just stream it online. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I wouldn't edit it out. If somebody wants to do it, go for it. Uh, well, I would because I want to get filthy stinking rich off of this idea. You will never get filthy stinking rich off of this idea. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm laying down the gauntlet. I'm going to roll my five-sided die, and if it gets a one to a two and a half, then I win this argument. Okay, flip a coin. If it gets a two and a half to a five, then we call it even. Okay. That works, right? Uh-huh. In my favor. No, no, no. One to, one to two and a half, I win the argument. Two and a half to five, uh, uh, we call it even. You don't win in any of these scenarios. Well, <laughs> you don't. I'm a win. good dungeon master. There's yeah. no way you can win. That's not ever. a good dungeon master. That's a terrible dungeon master. So all of you step out of your horse-drawn carriage to begin your quest, and you're eaten by a bogworm. You're all dead. Rocks fall. Everybody <laughs> dies. <laughs> the world explodes. <laughs> like rocks fall. Everybody dies. That's a thing. Oh God, that would piss me off. Has that happened to you? Not to me, no. That would be the douchiest thing. Is that My like DMs, a dungeon master who's just like, you know, I'm kind of done with this? That's, that's, that's a moment when you're, all of your players are that guy who won't leave the church. <laughs> when they all are that and guy. And your dungeon master gets so pissed off. He's like, you know what? You're all dead. Rocks fall, everybody dies. Is that a commonly known phrase in that world? Yes. Oh, my God. Is it sort of legend? Like Yes. So, like, <laughs> nobody's actually done it. They just... I've heard of someone because I can imagine if you've been playing this game for like, like, okay, what's the longest you ever kept a character alive? Uh, in like real world time. Yeah. Okay, we had a campaign that Z ran that ran for a year and a half. So you had this character for just a year and a half, and you loved it, yeah. and you were like, "Oh, this is the best character ever." And obviously, like a lot of video games, I'm sure the more you play, the more skills you acquire, the more the stronger your character gets, the more supplies, whatever. And you know, then all of a sudden, just out of sheer frustrations, he was like, uh, "Yeah, rocks fall, everybody dies." No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's That's... just say that that happened. How angry on a scale of one to ten would you be? Oh, well, like, the character that we had that uh, mouthed off to the big bad evil guy and died? That was, that was just out Paul. of Dungeon Master frustration? Uh, basically. <laughs> well, okay, if someone's being a dick, I would kill them. But I just mean for no good reason. You're just walking along and it's just like, huh, rocks fall, everybody dies. That would, yeah, that would piss me off. Like, okay, let's just say someone shoots your dog and that puts you at about an 8 on a scale of 1 to 10. Z kills off your character after a year and a half for no good reason. Uh, five or six. I'd get over it a lot faster, but <laughs> I'd be pretty fucking mad. What if your dog didn't die? 
Uh, that would be better. For any people who are just turning tuning into this, uh, these are code names for people that we know. We haven't been able to... Re- they haven't signed the releases yet where we can actually say their name. Right, so we're under an NDA. and uh, Yeah. Just imagine that they're blurry-faced next to us. Yeah. So now you've been playing for a while. Um, what's the longest campaign you ever had? Was it that one, was he? A year and a half? Uh, yeah, year and a half. And, and I ran one that it? was... Oh, we stormed a city, and uh, I think we all died in a glorious... Uh, whatever big glorious fireball that was okay yeah i mean like we we concluded the campaign and i think several of us ended up dying by doing it but we won like we defeated evil and good safety right. day but you went out in a, in a blaze of glory. blaze of glory that's, did you have the it. option to just get the fuck out of the battle so you could keep your character alive uh yeah probably and was there a possibility that you were going to win the fight uh you mean survive the battle yeah Mm. Not while still being engaged in it, no. What was was it kind of like that moment in Toy Story three? You've seen Toy Story three, right? Nope. Oh, well then, never mind about the Toy Story three <laughs> reference. But was there was it kind of like a moment in the movie where like Thelma and Louise, you're gonna go over the cliff, and you're like, fuck it, we're driving over the cliff, and we're holding hands on the way down. Yeah, basically. So you all like, I just get this picture of you all at a table. I'm sure, I'm sure Z didn't tell you. You you guys are gonna die if you do this. I'm sure you all just realize the odds were stacked against you, and I just picture you guys looking at each other in slow motion over a table, going, "Let's do this," <laughs> like holding hands at the table and all just yelling while you're sitting around a table because in your imaginations you're in slow motion running towards a like the end of the 300 or something. Um. I think I was probably a little bit more like that than everybody else because I was the only girl at the table. And, okay, only uh, one person yelling and everybody else going, you know, okay, well, it's the end of that one. <laughs> I mean, we were all into it. We're super into it, but I was like, yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to do this. And like my character had just ascended to be uh, like I could transform into a dragon, so I got to fly oh, cool. over the battlefield. Yeah, I was super badass. I'm still very happy about it. I would have <laughs> wanted to save that character. It's like at the last minute, my character flies away and leaves her friends to die. <laughs> Goes on to happier, happier planes of existence. Well, I mean, we were ending the campaign anyway. I figured I'd get real good. Uh, so I was super excited and into it. Everybody else was like, yeah, we're going to kick some ass. It's going to rule. So Fuck that guy. <laughs> so we've talked about D&D, which is the big one. I mean, that really is the mother of all. Yeah. RPG tabletop games. And we've talked about White Wolf. We've talked about uh uh what was the other one? The the Dresden Files. Fate. And then uh yes. What are the others that you think uh anyone out there that's looking to get into this sort of thing should know about? Um Steve Jackson makes several very good games okay. and it's they're Steve Jackson games and they're die six based. Uh, something like the White Wolf system a little bit um, closer to White Wolf than the others, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty easy to understand and get into because it is all just die six, so you roll your die sixes and compare the numbers. Right. It's very easy math. It's not weirdly abstracted where some things are on one type of die and another thing is on another type of die. Right. It's all d six. You just roll them and add them up. Uh, and a lot of his games 
story concepts and themes are really fun. Like I really, really loved Inamine. I thought it was a very interesting concept. (laughs) You can, I mean, the angels versus demons thing, you can do it like super, like what was that one? uh, What was that one movie with Christopher Walken and Viggo Mortensen? Pulp Fiction. The Prophecy. Oh, Prophecy, right. So you can run a really dark, like super creepy sort of that sounds are cool. kind of bad and demons are maybe not as bad as you thought they were sort of game or you can do it super like sight of light and good and evil <laughs> nasties or whatever you can do whatever you can play as demons it doesn't matter quick sidebar um, by the way about the prophecy one of my favorite depictions of the devil oh god yeah it is my absolute favorite and i think vico mortensen did an amazing job with that god delivery. is love and i don't love you that's the line i remember yes it's very good um, so I like his stuff. Hey, I'm, I'm coming down from heaven. <laughs> hey, I'm, oh, I, I lost my wings. You also lost your Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like basically aping Kevin Pollock's Christopher Walken impression. Yes, I've never yes, done a good Christopher are. Walken. You listen to the podcast. I've never done a good Christopher Walken. You used to do the one from Batman. Oh yeah, pretty yeah. well. Batman Returns. Yeah. What was it? What was the line from that movie? Santa I Claus. Afraid not. I'm just a poor schmo. Got lucky. And sue me if I want to give some back. You almost made a mayor of the. You almost made a monster of the mayor of Gotham City. Yawn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, those are the ones that I have the most experience with and that I think are good and then just homebrews like if you want to make a game out of whatever world you want to visit just fucking make a game that is the cool thing there are rules online to tell you how to make you know any kind of abstraction for a game that you want to make and they're simple you just do them oh and there's now a thing called Roll20 Roll20.net and it's it's a tabletop. It's a virtual tabletop. Oh, cool! So you can play tabletop RPGs online. With I thought your you friends said Rule who... Twenty for a second. Which I'm oh. like, is that like Order Sixty Six? <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you like, everybody who's in your group can live anywhere in the world, and just like any online game, you all just load into the game. Your storyteller or DM just right. ha- has control over the maps. He can make all of his maps and the character models and the rules for that game and just put them all in there and then just with clicks of buttons and you can chat and video chat well and this is the other cool thing too that i think about that type of gaming it's just like you said anyone can do it you can create your own you can make your own rules you can't do that with you know the game of life unless you just want to cut out a bunch of cardboard buildings but say we could all get together you and me and z and maybe a couple of other people get together just through skype and say, we're going to meet here once a month through Skype on a Wednesday and have our own tabletop game. Because it really is something that it is all up to your imagination to create the story and the world. And I think that's the appeal that people miss. Well, there, see, and it's cool that you say that because there's another thing called Storium. Ooh. Which is S-T-O-R-I-U-M. Storium. And that's basically what that is. It's like a Nightwish album. 
it's a lot less dice rolly and a lot more. Um, it, it's more like instead of tabletop online, it's more like LARP online. Right. Uh, so you do your turns and stuff in text blocks, and you I describe like you describe what you're doing, and you have cards that have like here's the information from this espionage mission that you were on or whatever and it'll read that out to you and so instead of the dice mechanics it's more just like creative collaborative storytelling oh my god Chris, you know what would be cool hmm. we could start our own sort of espionage rpg game but never really talk to each other just just dictate someone to be the quote-unquote dm or head of the agency or whatever and they would occasionally text us a message or something to do something. And we all know what group we're in and what code names we have. It could even be people that neither of us know. Like I could get a friend of mine from here that you've never met. You could get a friend of yours from Texas that, that I've never met. And we could actually have an ongoing story just through, say, text messages where we have to do something. And we could have missions. We could have enemies. Yes. Every once in a while in the middle of the day, you just get a text. Someone gets a text from the head of the agency and you have to do something. That would be cool. That would be awesome. I like have you heard the uh, Mr. President get down? No. <laughs> it's not really like RPGs, but it is totally role playing and it started I think as just kind of like a like on, on Tumblr, somebody suggested it, and then campuses worldwide started doing it or whatever. Okay. It's just groups of people just kind of agree to get into this game. And oh. if, if you're in public and somebody yells, Mr. President, get down! <laughs> everybody has to hit the deck. It's like Flash Mob almost. Yes, basically. That's I fun. think that's hilarious. Uh, I did, uh, this is a, a sort of a role-playing game for fun that I think we had always talked about doing, but we never actually did. And I ended up doing it when I was still with Juliana's mother. We played Celebrity which is sort of a flash mobby thing, but it was before a flash mob. Okay. Uh, where you pick one person to be a celebrity, and then you go to the mall. Oh, and then you all yes. you all split up. Yes. And then one by one, you all see the person who is a celebrity and flip out. Yes. And then people around you are like, oh, that, that must be a famous must person. Be a famous and you just person. sort of see what people do. Yep. We did it once. It was really fun. The only problem, it was just two of us. So it was very hard to convince a ton of people that she was really a celebrity. Right. But we played it well. Like she was buying a shirt or something and I walked in and I said, and we had created this whole thing. Her name, she was the front woman for a goth metal band called Amber's Lament. Yes. And uh, she was Amber. And, uh, you know, she had the big sunglasses and everything and she was just buying a shirt. And I just walked up to the counter and I'm like, um, I'm sorry, but are you, are you Amber? <laughs> She was like, oh, yes, I am, I am. I didn't have anything to write with or write on, so I begged the woman behind the counter for a receipt. Just give me some <laughs> receipt paper so I could get her autograph. And everyone was just like, that was weird. And then we went into Brookstone and did the same thing. And one of the salesmen there was like really talking to me after she left. It was like, because I was like, oh, my God, man, I'm floating on air. He was like, who was that? No, <laughs> Amber's Lament? <laughs> he was like, no, what's Amber's Lament? I was like, oh, you'll know about him. Soon. <laughs> well, so now we it's we've been talking for over an hour, so we should probably get close to winding this down. But I do want to ask you, where do games like Hero Quest and like Hero Clicks? Those are the games that sort of are those counted as tabletop role playing? 
uh, they've sort of become the next generation that is more akin to board games, but still keep a lot of the aspects of, especially HeroQuest, keep a lot of the aspects of role-playing games. Where, where, where are those on your, on your list? Um, I really love board- HeroQuest, by the way. <laughs> they're... They're... Uh, they're <laughs> board games and RPGs. Like, HeroClix is a collectibles game. Which is right. more yeah, no like story. a card game. You're not playing a character. Yeah. You're just literally um, like, I've got a figure, and I'll make it. It's a grown-up's excuse to play with toys. Hero Quest is absolutely an RPG. That's it. Just is. Yeah, but it's a board game RPG. Now, was Hero Quest the first one? It was the first one I knew of that was constructed like a board game. Well, Hero Quest was a board game, and then it was a role-playing game. Right. So I had the board game first. It's both. Um, was it the first one to take its concept and make a board game out of it? Maybe. And by the way, if none of you guys have heard of HeroQuest, it's not the easiest thing to get a hold of anymore because it is discontinued. I still have mine, and my friend Todd has his, so we do play sometimes. Nice. And it's, oh, it's a blast. I found mine when I was going through my mom's... Uh, she had moved a bunch of stuff from my room into an old metal shack out back where she keeps tools and stuff. And uh, I went digging through it, found my Hero Quest board, almost all completely still intact. Um, also found my Virtual Boy. <laughs> if that tells okay. You. <laughs> you remember the Virtual Boy? Vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not great. But <laughs> at the time, I loved it. Um. So yeah, there's all that stuff, and so we've gotten together, and he has hero clicks, and he has his own hero quest board, and we've gotten together a few times and played it. But again, the ingenious thing about these games is they really stress creating your own, and it's not yeah. like no one's got a. It's not like it's illegal to create your own game out of Candyland, but oh god no, it, the games are constructed to where that's part because once you you have a quest book in Hero Quest, and your maps on the board are constantly changing. So you, so each new, you basically get one board and a bunch of furniture pieces, and someone is a wizard who has a book that maps out everything, knows everything that your characters are going to encounter. You still choose what you do and where you go, but then once you're done with that book, they give you maps you can create your own stories on, which that's, to me, the genius part of all of this, is that... Um. It is more in the hands of the player than any other game I've ever seen. HeroQuest might be discontinued, but you would probably really like to get your hands on Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Okay. I have heard of this game. It's supposed to be phenomenal. It is phenomenal. Get four to eight people or whatever. Right. It is an incredibly good way to spend an hour to three hours. <laughs> That's the fun thing about HeroQuest is you can do it with two. I have Risk, and I've never played it because I can't find a third person that wants to. <laughs> well, that and you don't want to devote two years to playing a single board game? Oh, they've got a shortened version of it you can play. Oh. Yeah. Hey, I want to play it. I like the idea of blowing up other people's countries. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything else, Carissa, you would like to say about role-playing games, tabletop gaming, anything? Anything out there that a listener might want to know um that you should totally do it yeah we should do it totally do it uh do it like i'll be a barbarian and you can be a dragon and we'll do it gross you know whatever you're into (laughs) probably both yeah um it's 
not as hard or as no, it's not um, weird to get into as people who haven't played it think it is. Like I was really intimidated by tabletop RPGs, right? And I had to be convinced to try to play. Well, and again, there's the stereotype of geek culture that they're antisocial. Okay, we're antisocial. Mm-hmm. Um, don't really like new people, have social problems, things like that. But just like any other group, most geeks are pretty cool people. Yeah. So I mean, like, you will definitely find people that fit the stereotype. Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, if you were to walk up to a table of people you didn't know and saw them playing a game that looked really fun and actually sat down and said, could I join you? They'd probably be like, yeah, just let us finish this round and then we'll pull you in and show you how to do it. And if they're not, they're assholes. Exactly. And you don't want to play with them anyway. That's not like, that's the thing that I had to kind of learn as well is that the people who are going to be like that, who are going to exclude you because you're new or because you're a girl or because you aren't as nerdy as them or because you maybe don't know the rules as well as they do and they all know the rules better than you do. Right. They're going to exclude you for that instead of bring you in. Right. They're going to shut you out. And it took me a long time to realize that's not how it's meant to be. No. You need to be bringing people in and not shutting them out. Right. Because how are you ever going to get new people to play with you if new people can never play with you? Right. Exactly. Because your group is not going to stay together forever. People are going to move. Friendships are going to fall apart. Relationships are going to form. People are going to drift away. And if you are an asshole about it your whole life, then eventually you're going to find yourself alone being your own dungeon master. Yes. So I'm going to jump over this log. Oh, the log is actually a beast. Yeah. It's very <laughs> masturbatory. Very. Which, you know. Yeah. I know a lot about that. The <laughs> um, One quick side note, since we've been talking about it. The one thing that blew my mind, and you tell me if this blew your mind as much as it did mine, was how huge in our lifetimes for about a week Magic the Gathering became. I saw people playing that game that would have been the same people the day before making fun of people for playing that game. It's still a big game, but for a while, it was the biggest thing on the planet. Well, they did some really good marketing and made some really excellent changes to the game at one point that made it much easier to get into um, and much easier to play. So the learning curve just dropped. But I think a big part of – but the thing that shocked me the most about Magic the Gathering, that was the one thing – like I had – I knew people in high school that if they walked into a room and saw you playing Dungeons & Dragons would have been like, you fucking nerd. Yep. Uh, but for some reason, for a little while anyway, Magic was excluded from that. There I think were, because quote, it looks unquote, like cards. Yeah, but it's not like it was the first one of its kind, was it? Maybe not, but it was the only one that people ever played. But that's what I'm trying to figure out. How did that one crack through to the absolute I mean, mainstream? Probably the same way that WoW did. They they just found the right mix. But there is still a very definitive type of person that plays WoW. And, uh, well, I don't know. You know what? No. I don't, so you know more WoWers than I do. Are There's, they from all walks yeah, of life? Yeah, everybody. Everybody plays. Somebody that was like, I was a quarterback in high school, yep. and now I'm Jocks a play. level four elf. Yep, jocks play, nerds play, housewives play, grandparents play. Well, there you go. Everybody plays. Wow is the new magic. (laughs) So this is coming to the end of our first official 
formatted episode. Can I tell you how I was part of the Lucky 10,000 this week? Yes, please. Okay, so you know about Schrodinger's cat? Schrodinger's cat? Uh, I'm never yes, sure if I'm pronouncing it right. but refresh my memory. Okay, so very basically, the theory is that if you put a cat in a lead-lined box oh, with yes. a radioactive isotope split in half, and then you close the box, there's a chance the radioactive isotope will make the cat radioactive and he'll die. Right. But with the box closed, and only a chance that that will happen at any given time, you can never know if it has happened, which means the cat is always both alive and dead. Right. That's the super simplistic version. I don't want any hate for how crappily I explained it. <laughs> I get it. Oh, there it. will be. There will be. Um, did you? There will be. Yeah, I know. There will be. So did you and so put that's always cat been, in the box? No, no, no. That's always been told to me as like an example of theoretical quantum physics. Mm -hmm. But I learned this week that apparently the reason that he developed that thought experiment okay. was as a condemnation of theoretical quantum physics oh, and really? the rejection of common sense. Oh, the irony. Yeah, because apparently he came up with that because it is ridiculous to say that the cat is always dead and always alive at the right. same time. That is retarded and no one would think that. But in theoretical quantum physics, at least at the time, that sort of rejection of common sense conclusion making was commonplace. Well, because you don't know for sure. You can't unless you open the box. I mean, that's that's the what people have taken away from it now. And that is, while it is true, it is also not true. At some point, the fucking cat is dead. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're not feeding the cat or giving the cat water, like, it will die. The cat is not perpetually, eternally, both alive and dead. However... Also, something can't be both alive and dead. Common sense tells us that. You don't need a theoretical quantum physics experiment to tell you that. You know that that is true. So don't reject the fact that you know that it is true just because theoretical quantum physics says, but that is actually the case. Gotcha. That I was see what you're point. saying. And I didn't know that. Right. That, no, that's very interesting. And I do see what you're saying, but I also still think that it applies because... You know, you give it 10 years, you're like, that cat's dead. There's no way it's not dead. But you don't know. I'm <laughs> exactly. saying that as a firm agnostic. <laughs> I go, okay, open the box. Is God in there? <laughs> that when reminds me, though. Closed, he both is and is not there. That reminds me, though, of a recent saying that I have had debunked for me. So I guess this is my lucky 10,000. Yay! Um, I am... You know, we're probably never going to truly bring politics into this show because I'm not I don't think either yeah. of us are geeks about politics. Oh, I totally am. But I'm not ever going to talk about it on this show. <laughs> right. Good. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm I'm reasonably informed. I'm just not obsessed with it. Uh, however, uh, you're a libertarian. Mm, no. Well, you were last time we talked about politics. <laughs> you're not a social conservative. I'll put it that way. Correct. Uh, I am pretty much liberal in Every way. And we both have sort of a disdain for the current Republican Party, like a pretty intense dislike of them. Okay. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. Um, one of the things that has always bugged me is this whole pull your up by your own, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps wagon that they've been on for okay. a few years. Um, I won't get into political reasons why. But the whole idea is we're the party that wants you to help yourself. And okay. I had someone tell me recently that uh, that saying 
is meant to be the complete opposite of how they're using it as. Because the idea, and I can't remember where it came from, but the idea was if you're stuck in the mud and you try and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you're not going to get anywhere. Because that's how physics works. Because that's how physics works. But they've used it so much, it has become so ingrained now that even they still think it means you're just trying to help yourself. But what they're really saying is, we want you to attempt to help yourself and fail miserably. (laughs) Because you can't actually pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Correct. Which never really dawned on me before because it just came part of the lexicon and I just accepted it. But then I was like, oh, thank God. And people are still saying it, which is wonderful. And technically, the I mean, the idiomatic definition is now to succeed by yourself. Right. But Which, you're absolutely right. The actual phrase itself, the meaning of it is physically you impossible. You're yes. doing something that's physically impossible. Yes. It's almost like when uh, when Reagan got on the big, uh, when, you know, Born in the USA came out, the Bruce Springsteen song. Yes. And Reagan decided it was going to be his mantra for a little while, not realizing yes. that the song itself... Yeah. It's a pretty big condemnation yeah. of how we treated the vets coming back from war. <laughs> yeah. I love so, irony, don't you? Oh, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. So I'm going to ask you something real quick. Okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of closing out a show with a phrase or a saying, maybe a little catchphrasey type thing. Uh, are you? A fan of doing that? Yeah. Sure. It's a good thing to, like, button it up. Yeah, it's a nice little button. Uh, up until a few months ago, we were saying uh, yippee-ki-yay, motherfuckers, when we ended the bearded ones. But mm-hmm. Jason didn't like it. <laughs> Apparently okay. never liked it and finally told me he didn't like it. So now we just kind of go, well, yeah, we'll see you next time. But I've always like, oh, there's got to be something. So in this first official formatted episode... The final segment is going to be us coming up with our own ending button catchphrase. Oh, our sign-off? Yeah, what's our sign-off going to be? <sighs> Geeks away! Oh, good God, no. <laughs> Goodbye, 10,000 times. Uh, no. Um, luck be a lady tonight. Uh, no. So apparently what this segment's going to be is you saying a bunch <laughs> of stupid crap and me telling you no. <laughs> I think so. Okay. Uh, we could carry this through for a few episodes until we find one. Yeah, probably. Uh... We could also just like sign off by saying make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Lucky underscore 10K. We could do that. Lucky 10,000. Look, We could do that. Do okay. we have an email? Yeah, Lucky 10,000, all spelled out as words. Lucky 10,000 at gmail.com. Luck be a little geeky tonight. Mm. <laughs> um. Here's Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for the end of the show. I think that would work perfectly. All right. Well, until next time, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And here's Johnny. <laughs> here's Good night. Geeky. Uh, we should just say maybe something along the lines of, because uh, hmm. I guess, you know, the theme of the show is everyone's a geek about something. So go and find your inner geek. Okay. You like that one? Yeah. It's a now. soft start. It's yeah. a soft start. We'll come up with something better next time. Yeah. So until next time, I hope you guys have enjoyed this show. This is Evan. I'm Carissa. And you go find your inner geek. Night.
thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan and Carissa. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. And visit our podcast network site at beardedpodsnetwork.com.